please turn to James 1. I'm going to begin a series today on uh, just grow up. Uh, did you ever grow up with that kind of phrase? One of my dad's favorites was to his kids, you want to be treated like an adult and act like a kid. Did anybody ever grow up with that? You want adult privileges, but still act like a kid, right? Uh, I want the car, I want money, I want this. Can't get you to empty the trash. Can't, can't hardly get you, you know, why, can't hardly make up your bed. Well, listen to what James says, verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. King James says deluding, and uh, this is ESV, he says deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently, and it's really uh, not that strong, but uh, it, it is really casually. He, he looks casually at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law and it means to bend over, meditate, and look right into, because the mirrors of their day were polished bronze or brass. So it wasn't, it was hard to see yourself even if you were up close with these mirrors of this time. Ours are so much clearer, then you've got these magnifying mirrors that can scare you the daylights out of you. Uh, you know, but, I mean, it was a hard thing to, to see yourself in a polished bronze mirror. But he said, the, the one who really sees himself looks intently, bends over, and perseveres. And that means they remain. It's not a quick look. They, they spend a little time. Be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Now, he gives an assignment. Watch this. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, there we go, deceiving again, this person's religion is worthless. A gossip is worthless in their religion. Slanders have worthless religion. Uh, grumblers have worthless religion. Gripers have worth, their mouth is used negatively, and negative speech means you have a worthless religion. One of the first places you could tell someone's saved is their mouth. It's going to be a long sermon, I could tell. <laughs> this is not, someone asked Grant Pinkston, how did the sermon go? He said, well, nobody stoned him. That's kind of weak, Grant, but religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows when they get an inheritance. Uh, when? Oh, in their affliction. No, oh, okay. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. I want you to memorize something with me. Can you do it? This is really hard. Here we go. Information applied 
brings transformation. That's the whole message. You're dismissed. Yes. Information that is applied brings transformation. Now, by contrast, information that is not applied brings delusion. Information not applied will bring deception, delusion. Let me give you an example of information versus application. I'm 19 years old. I'm coming back from Stockton from preaching at a church over there. I'm taking Highway 4 in the back route. I'm on the outside of Brentwood somewhere. Uh, I don't wear glasses at the time. I'm driving a little VW my dad gave me for a high school graduation. I was loaded my books, my guitar, and I've been over there preaching for a week. And uh, as I came, it was a, a, boy, beautiful moon that night in the summer, and uh, I saw this sign that said, slow down. It said, curve, 35 miles an hour. It, it, that, it, was, it was great. Somebody needed to write a sign. But there was a, a frontage road that ran right there, and I found out later it was on the property, on the farm there, uh, and it, it ran just straight on. In my mind, that was the road. I didn't know the difference at first. I, was near, I found out I was nearsighted. This is pre-glasses. And so uh, I saw that sign, and if you know anything about a VW, it has that direct steering. I mean, when you turn, it turns real quick. Anyone know what I mean? It, there's no play in the wheel. It's just, whoo, you're there. Well, what do I do? I accelerate. Signage means nothing to me because I see the road. But the signage was for the road I was on. The information did me no good. I rolled the car. I, I never forget it. I just rolled across there, and it was just like, because, I, I mean, the sparks are flying. But I'm looking out, and I'm just watching the moon all the way across that pavement. Just, hello, Lord, you lit up the heavens. Rolled up against a eucalyptus tree and was bleeding a bit and nothing broken and all like that. But you know what? I had my eyes checked. I was blind as a bat. <laughs> but I just thought, I knew the sign was there. I knew the speed limit it recommended. It was really commanding. I had information without application. Rich Rollins had a famous line he used to use a lot here because he... He did a whole lot of counseling. Probably Larry uses this line. We do a lot of counseling with different people. And, and his favorite line is, uh, you don't need another prescription. You need to take the medicine. You've never taken the last prescription. But you keep wanting a prescription you like. You, have you ever uh, done this with medicine? Ooh, it doesn't taste good. It wasn't designed for your taste. It was designed for your infection. But said, oh, uh, and I'll tell you, here's one. Uh, information without application does you no good. How many of you have had treadmills that you hung your clothes on? 
or you watch TV from. You have the right vehicle. There's one thing. It demands application. I'm the specimen of health because I belong to a health club. I, now, what are you laughing? I really do. Ask me how often I go. Because you have to change your clothes for the locker room. You have to get parking. And then the equipment, it doesn't work for you. You have to, you actually have to pedal the bike yourself. The membership I pay every month, they've never had to collect from me. They're getting a deal. I go six times a year just to say I belong to a health club. And I'm still out of shape. The information, the product is no good without application. And this is what James is saying. I mean, we want to look at three things about this idea. Are you a doer? Are you, are you deluded? And that is information. Just look at that. Two, application. Three, your assignment. Okay? Information is the what. If you go to Dallas Seminary, we were big what preachers. We could tell you how many Philistines there were, how many genitive cases, how many uh, perfect tenses, and how many uh, all present active indicatives for a person singular in the Greek. Did that just help you out? That's a third person singular indicative case. That would change your life. So what? Some of you people keep wanting more information, and God's waiting for you to do some application. Because information without application biblically will never change your life. You'll never be transformed. You need a transformed life. You don't need just a bigger head. You need a changed life. And knowledge alone, according to Corinthians, does nothing but puff you up, and so love builds up. Uh, it, it, there's a strange thing. Uh, I, I often talk to Carolyn and talk about our pilgrimage because we were in God's house from teenagers and everything. We've traveled different groups in different times. But uh, this, this seems strange. But, but hear me now. Hear me well. I was just as happy in Jesus when I knew far less than I know today. Hmm, you were happy in Jesus when you knew for, you know, I was saved at one time, didn't know I was eternally secure. I was saved at one time, didn't believe election. I was saved one time, I didn't know anything about spiritual gifts. I was saved one time, I didn't know the book of Romans. I was saved one time, and I didn't know so much stuff. But you know what? I was so happy in the Lord. Some of you still, it's a strain, isn't it? I mean, you say, what are you smiling for? You're in church. You ought to be smiling. I didn't know how to spell justification when I got saved. I didn't know what it meant. But I sure was happy coming home from church that night. I said, my sins are washed away. I, the load's gone. I'm going to heaven. Isn't Jesus wonderful? This is the greatest thing I ever heard. And then I started hanging out with other Christians. <laughs> so I learned to gripe, learned to complain, 
learn this and this and that and, and then No, no. Uh, but, but you know what? I grew up in a small little church on South 15th and Cutting. And a lot of my family, my uncle was the pastor. My aunt was my dad's sister. She taught me the book of Proverbs and taught me how to peel potatoes during the summer. Worked me like a farm hand because she was a farm girl, but she would be telling me Proverbs and bacon pies. It was worth peeling, I'll tell you. You got a pie for it. <laughs> Wonderful aunt. And, and then I had a brother named Paul. And when I got saved at 14, Paul said, Let me, I'm going to teach you some things we do around here. What's that? First, you hand out the psalm books for every service. There's only about 60 of us. You hand out psalm books after service, collect them. Okay, I don't see that in the Bible. Well, you hear me say it, don't you? Okay. And, oh, and by the way, I'm going to teach you how to greet people. And has anyone ever had Paul Howard shake your hand? You will remember. We used to call him Nut Crusher. Cool. He, you know, he's getting old now, and the grip's a little weaker. But Or anybody have this? Boom. We're so glad you're here. And you say, do you have a chiropractor? <laughs> you would know you've been greeted by my brother. I mean, the, he taught me. I would shake hands like this. Uh, let's see, how can I illustrate that? And he grabbed that hand. He said, you don't hand them a limp fish. You shake hands. You hear me? Paul, I'm only 14. Well, you, you're my brother. You do what I tell you. You shake hands. And every gray-headed woman that comes, you help them, and you might help get them to the car after the service. Any of our 14-year-olds do that yet? Any of you 14-year-olds doing that? Are you stealing the purse? <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't know. I'm just checking. Just checking. Okay, I'm doing that. I'm just telling you my spiritual bi biography that you care less about. 15... I'm a third-grade boys' teacher. Fifteen, I started speaking in junior church. Sixteen, I become the pastor of junior church. Seventeen, I'm overseeing the youth group. Every Saturday, by the way, uh, with my brother Paul, we used to hand out tracts on South Cutting because we were all on the south side. We'd hand out tracts. We'd invite folks to revivals. We don't have them anymore. We just died. Uh, but we used to have revivals. We'd hand out tracts on Saturday. Uh, we sold donuts on Saturday morning for our youth group to make money. We'd sell 150 dozens before 10 o'clock, because then they turned to grease, so you had to sell them quick. <laughs> uh, now, this is all, this is all, I never heard of pastoring in church, teaching, doing this. By the time I'm, uh, let's see, I'm gone every summer from 16 on, because I preach wherever anybody will have me. I'm married at 20. I go to a Bible college at 22, become the dean, the registrar. Fran was there, was a secretary and an administrative assistant to the president. Uh, so I met her and was a student. So I'm there from 22 to 26. I go to Fresno to get a master's. And while I'm there, I turn 27. I come back here. I start a church at 27. I've been here for 43 years. And I, some of you folks still haven't found anything to do. You see, just knowing the Word isn't enough. Information alone will leave you unchanged. Some of you want another Bible study. You haven't done the last 10. 
You don't need more information. You need obedience. You need, when are you going to do it? Oh, let's study Revelation again. How many times do you need to study it? Have you ever shared the gospel? Are you an evangelist? No, I don't plan to be. Why don't you plan to be? And you want more information. And then you pastor churches like this. And our church could be very much this way if it wasn't for all these kids and VBS and, and our younger ones. But you get folks who've been saved 30 years and on Sunday they're saying, tell me something I hadn't heard before. Tell you something you haven't heard before. What are you going to do with it if you hear it? Ooh, that was, man, that was deep. Mmm. You know what that reminds me of? A man came to E.V. Hill, and he started complaining about Billy Graham. And E.V. Hill was on Graham's board. And this guy was complaining to Hill. He said, you know, Graham isn't deep enough. He's so shallow. And uh, Hill said, are you aware that Billy has spoken to more people on the planet than any other preacher in history? And the guy said, well, so what? He's still shallow. And, he's, and, and Hill says, uh, how many are you running? He's about 75. Hill said, well, let me tell you something about you deep preachers. He said, you put that hook so far down in that water where it's dark and cold that the fish never bite. Billy has found out if you put it up at this level, they're biting. And he catches a lot more fish than you, doesn't he? You deep preachers, you, you got, the only thing you get down there is a stingray. There's some of you folks so deep, nobody's biting. We know so much, nobody's being transformed. Because that's not the goal. So here James is saying, uh, there's a danger of being deceived when you hear a lot of Bible because you keep giving yourself credit for doing it. No, you just hurt a lot. You don't give. You're not at prayer meetings. You don't serve. You don't evangelize. You don't. What's wrong with you? How long do you have to be saved? See, information is not the problem. James says doing it is the problem. Are you a doer? Of the word. Information alone. Just inform the greatest sermon ever preached went this way. I will tell you about two men who built houses. One built on sand, one built on rock. And the storm came and one crashed terribly. The other stood. Jesus said, and so is it with the man who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he'll be the house built on sand. But the man who hears these sayings of mine and does them will be like a house built upon the rock, and the storm comes, and that house will stand, for they have obeyed what they know. You see, here's the thing I think of my younger Christian life. Uh, I was taught to do what I knew. Increased knowledge doesn't mean increased obedience. We just can become arrogant that we know more. See, what's wrong with a lot of you folks is you're educated beyond your obedience. You know a lot more than you're doing. And God's not going to bless you until you start doing it. And that's what James says. You will not be blessed until you do what God's. And that's what's exciting about the early Christian life. 
You, you make, uh, you're too uh, young in the Lord. Did anyone talk you out of obedience and stop your cussing, stop this, stop stealing? You know, whatever those sins that were really prevalent in your life, maybe stop this, stop. And was that the exciting time of your life? Absolutely, because the Bible was to be applied. The Bible was to be obeyed. The Bible, and then you all of a sudden learn to sit, soak, and sour. I just want information. I don't want transformation. Don't mess with my life. I like me the way I am. Well, God wants to keep changing us, changing us from one glory to another form of glory. Isn't that what he said? This spirit, 2 Corinthians 3, 8, this spirit changes us from one image of glory to it. We're a people being changed into the likeness of Christ. Well, he goes on to say that those who are just hooked on information are like people who just casually look at the mirror. I liken the difference between the way a man looks at a mirror and the way a woman does. As men, boom, I sure look good, honey. <laughs> Say, did you see that? Did you see that? And some of you, did you see everything? And you rushed beyond the mirror? Did you see that? Did you see that? And all you need is a good wife. Honey, you didn't pay attention. Look, look at you. In contrast, your wife. And then, like I say, she not only has a mirror, she got the, has this kind you light up. And one day she told me, you got to take care of this issue. I said, I'm, I'm fine. Look in this mirror. That's what I see. You need to get on it, boy. You need more than old spice. You need to look at this mirror. And James said, that's the way some of you are. You keep saying, I'm okay. I'm okay. Well, you, you're so quick. The only thing that some of you are pressured about is, when will it be done? I don't have time for God to be changing me. The measure of a good service is he went short. And that's why you are, even your devotion life. I forget who it was that said, hurry is the enemy of a devotional life. You know, it's just, man, I got to read the word. I got to pray. And God is saying, don't waste your time. Just go ahead and worry. Don't show up. Could you imagine? I noticed this. When I do something I enjoy or I'm with someone I love, Time just flies. Anybody here over 60? That's okay. Good. For our 49th anniversary, I sang to Carolyn this great song. I don't know all the words, but do you remember this one? How the time flies when I'm with you. I mean, remember, come on. Ooh, 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 baby. How the time flies. Hey, I was telling her, I've, I've been with, you mean I've just been with you 49 years and been my girlfriend 52 years? How the time has flown. Instead of saying, Woo, what a drudgery. How the years have drug on since I've known you. I've had nothing but the blues. No, no, no. When you're with God and you enjoy Him, you're not counting the time all the time. Why don't you count the time you're texting? Why don't you count the time you watch TV? Why don't you count the time 
you playing video games. Count the time it takes to play a game of golf. That's no big strain. Because when you enjoy something, time's not an issue. And yet we got a hurried devotional life, hurried prayer. Let's hurry to church. Let's, and when it comes to God, I'm in a hurry because you don't enjoy him. And James is saying, stop. Look at the mirror. Look for life change. Let God talk to you. Let him take the information and x-ray you and show you what he sees because he doesn't want to condemn you and call you ugly. He wants to change you. He wants to beautify you. He wants to improve you. But you've got to stop at his mirror, which is his word. Look in that mirror. Look intently. You know what? I find all doers of the word are great listeners of the word. It's not that we don't listen, but we know we haven't completed the assignment until we do it. Now, let's look at application. Uh, and he gives them application right here in the passage. And uh, are you a doer of the word? If God showed you something today that you needed to do, is your first response, I'm going to do that? Or do you rationalize it away? Or that, I hope my wife got that. Man, I know that's for some people I know. When do you ever say, God, talk to me, change me? Do you ever come to church and say, change me? Or is it change circumstances, change him, her, them? What about you? Do you ever hear God talk when you come to church? Or do you just hear a scrawny preacher? I wouldn't let anyone talk to me the way preachers talk to people. If I didn't think they were telling me what God had to say, that's why I wanted to crack a Bible. Don't just get up, clean my clock. Tell me a verse. What are you talking about? I don't just go around here, people clean me up. Who, what, it's none of your business. You don't like me? Too bad. But when God's doing the talking, I better listen. And so if you don't think preachers are giving you the word, you need to go somewhere where you think God's talking. Because don't let a preacher get on your case. And that's why some of you get mad at preachers because you never do hear God. You haven't distinguished the voices. You think it's me. You say, boy, he's had a bad week. He's mad at the church. No, I'm not. Matter of fact, I was thrilled with VBS. I went out there Friday night. I, I didn't want it to end. It was so wonderful just seeing how God used all those people. It was, a, you know what I do to get a little bit of charge? One time I went to VBS. Tuesday nights I go out and watch our youth group. If you want to see what God's doing with the younger generation, I dare you to go out there. Then uh, this week, Bungie Soccer starts up. I dare you to come visit our youth ministries and gripe that God's not reaching young people. He's reaching them left and right. He's just not doing it through you. He's using somebody. We got like 170 kids out of uh, Volleyball Madness. We probably got 200 kids in junior high, and we had 240 this week kids up to the fifth grade. That's not too bad. That's a lot, folks. That's enough to have a church. And you say, I don't see God working. Why, no, you've got to turn off TV. You'd have to drive out to the club. And just, who are those kids? Yeah, there are kids. Our youth pastors are reaching kids. You know what? If Jesus was the pastor of this church, 
where sinners feel comfortable to come. We've turned church in a holy club. You know, it's amazing. Jesus never called a woman a whore in all the Bible. He never called them prostitute. And the religious crowd said, boy, let me tell you where she works. She works in the red light district. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to fill the void in this woman, and I care less. I'm not putting a label. Simon, my problem is religion that doesn't care. This woman doesn't bother me. Dead religion that misrepresents God to sinners is what bothers me. I came to die for sinners. I came to seek the lost. Would they feel comfortable here next to you, or would you play Brother Simon Pharisee? Man, you're a dirty sinner. Yeah, just like the pastor and the rest before the blood of Jesus got on me. Jesus cleanses sinners. This church ought to be for sinners. That's why you ought to be bringing people that just like you. And don't forget what you were when God picked you up. I said, don't forget what you were when God found you. See, that's another thing as we get older. Man, your kids think you were immaculate. Oh, they weren't there. They just don't know. You've only told them what you want them to know. Let us keep going. Uh, doers of the word, information with application leads or brings transformation. The people being changed in this church are the people doing the word. They're not critiquing my sermon every week. I used to have a man critique me every week after the sermon. I never saw him change, but he knew every grammatical error. He, he knew everything. If I said there was a thousand Philistines and there's only 900, he would let me know. Heavy stuff, you know. Want to keep the pure word getting out. Some of you, all you are doing is critiquing all the time. Well, that doesn't agree with me. That doesn't. Well, uh, when are you going to shut up and start listening to God? Moody couldn't say correct English, and the British were outraged when this rough shoe cobbler from Chicago went to Britain. But it sure didn't keep God from saving thousands of Brits. I've heard more corn-fed farm boy preachers preach heaven down and preach hell hot and preach so much I wanted to know Christ. And they were never educated. The last thing they saw was the behind of a mule, and they started preaching. Yeah, that's the kind of people I grew up with, farm boys that got saved. And some of you know so much and do so little, and you wonder why the Christian life has become a drag. God doesn't bless big heads. He gave the Bible not to make your head big, but to change your heart. To change your heart. Well, let us keep on. James does. Be known for being a doer. Look at this little thing I put here. Little knowledge plus obedience equals. What would you fill? Fill in the word you think it equals. Three people, tell me what you put in. What was it? Transformation. Ooh, I love it. Yes, somebody else. Is that all? When are you going to do the word? I told you to fill that in. What does it, what does it mean? Joy. Thank you. Service. Freedom. Victory. Uh, see? Happy Christians. 
Happy Christians are the doers of the word. It's like when I preach on giving. Guess where the place is silent? All the non-givers. They can't amen what they don't do. They all said, oh, no, no. They, uh, what? Let's talk about evangelism, sharing your faith. Mm-hmm. You people, you just see them, they'll go into intercessory prayer. Mm-hmm. I said, you have cramps? No, I'm just praying. Because you, know, you, you, you don't plan to do it. We've talked about it all the time. We talk about service. You know why you don't do it? You're not obedient. And God can't bless disobedience. Some of you are totally disengaged from the yoke of Christ. Where are you serving? In his body. For him. He's the head. It's his voice. It's his will. I didn't write the Bible. Where did he get involved? uh, And and then lots of knowledge with little obedience. What does it produce? What was that? Pride. Man, I know when the rapture is going to take place. Well, good for you. You're a pre-tribber, huh? Well, good. What are you doing in the meantime? Well, I'm telling people they need my chart. Jesus said, occupy. He said, stop gazing. Get busy. Book of Acts. I just want to stand gazing. The same Jesus that went out from you is going to come back the same way. You better go for Jerusalem. You better go for Samaria. You better go for Judea. You better go to the ends of the earth with a message and quit standing around on this hill. Get busy for him and tell the good news. Jesus knows when he's coming back. You don't need telling that. When are you going to get to going? This is what they call house cleaning. If you're unsaved, you may not want to. But if you're saved, the Spirit can actually talk to you that you've stopped at information and you're not growing because you've got to apply the Word of God before you'll grow. Who cares if you're a Calvinist and you're a pre-tribulationist and you still cuss your wife at home? Do you think, which, what would you rather have? Wouldn't you rather have a guy that's an Arminian and he thinks we're going to go through the trib, but he sure loves like Jesus? I wonder how many folks would come to church with him. We're over here saying, well, you know, uh, I'm in the Reformed tradition. Well, quit bragging. Most folks don't even know what it is. They never knew about the reform. When are you going to reform? When are you going to change? Has anything changed in your household since you got saved? Little knowledge won't hurt you. Matter of fact, it will keep you growing. I remember when I was enrolled at Western Baptist College, I was standing in the line. I was a Pentecostal evangelist, so I'd been holding revivals all summer. And, uh, man, I was so glad I was going to be starting my junior year. I'd been going to another school. And so I'm starting my junior year there, and, and I'm talking with a guy I went to Richmond High with, Andy Tully, and I'm telling him about the revivals and, and this. And he was an evangelistic kind of guy and loved Tennessee Temple. And, boy, we were going back and forth, and he evangelized, and I'd been here and that. We're talking, and this one little shy uh, Baptist girl in the back, she tapped me. She says, uh, uh, did I hear you say you've been, yeah. She said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I want to learn the Bible. I want to learn more about Christ. She said, are you sure this is the place for you? After hearing you guys, you sound radical. 
I said, no, we're just still alive. We haven't died yet. If we hang out with people like you, we may die. But, but I'm hoping, I want to know the Bible. And the guy's saying, how, how, whatever brought you here, you've been so mixed up. You, you're so confused. And you're the, I said, you just teach the Bible. I'll pay you tuition, and I'll let God straighten me out. I enjoyed God as much when I had that much knowledge as I do with this. Because as long as I walk in obedience, as you walk in the light, as he's in the light, you'll abound in joy and fellowship. And some of you are amazed that God's blessing some folks that don't think just like you. And God just loves to bless them. You see, we took them to the Pentecostals to cast out the demon. We took them to the Baptists to teach them. But somebody had to be a William Booth that thought you could sober up a drunk, and you could sober up a gal at the brothel, and you could feed her a meal in London and in one year lead 250,000 ex-prostitutes and drunks where the city had 30,000 bars and so many uh, brothels and so many 13-year-old girls being sold as prostitutes. But that Salvation Army radical crowd went out there, took stones, uh, Evangeline Booth, the women took the stones, took the rotten eggs, but by George would stay up all night with the drunk to lead him to Christ. Do you think God used them? Yeah, he did. We're too tame. The world didn't even pay attention to us. They paid attention to the radicals. Doing something for Christ. Church should be more than information. It ought to be people who will do it. Do it. Thank you, adults, for giving your life to help children last week. Thanks again. Well, uh, let's get our assignment. Look at here. Let's end up here. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. First thing, he says, true religion will get a controlled mouth. Okay? So, the first assignment he gives, control your mouth. We need a mouth. Our mouth can edify, encourage, whatever. But he says, stop negative use of words, negative communication. And he said that in Ephesians. Stop bad, corrupt communication. Do you still cuss? Cut it out. Do you still uh, run people down, never say a good word? Uh, You're always negative in speech. You're a complainer. You're a murmurer. James said your religion's worthless. When is your mouth going to be used to encourage and say a good word about your God. If you can't find anything right with anybody, how about your God? He ought to keep your mouth employed. (laughs) Something to say? So he says, first assignment, get your mouth under control. Okay? He said, I I ain't going to change my way I talk. Uh Uh-uh. Okay. You got a vain religion. It's worthless. A religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to critique the music and get a donut every week. Oh, visit orphans and widows, as I said, when they get an inheritance. You see, in this culture, there was no welfare. In 1 Timothy 5, they kept a roll of all women who were 60 years of age who were widowed. 
and the church supported the widow, who was a widow indeed, who had no family to help her, and she was 60 years old and didn't have a husband. He said, the church has to support them. Orphans would just die because there was no system. Rome wasn't going to take them in. Uh, the temple wasn't going to take. So he tells the church, he's talking to believers, hey, why don't you go out of your way to find orphans? And there were plenty. Widows, there were plenty. We tell them, get Social Security, get on welfare. And so we skirt over this. But in a culture where they had none of this, he said, if you want to show off your religion that you really know God, go to the needy, those who need compassion, do it in their affliction, and keep unstained from the world. Here's the assignment that I think James is giving us. Control our mouth and show compassion to people in need, uh, whatever category. Now, let me give you an assignment this week. Are you looking at your notes? I want you to find uh, and write down two things this week. Somebody that you invested a good word in. You might write it. You may say it. And, and it'd be good if you could say something more than, good job. You know, maybe buy a card that can write something. If you, you can't talk any other way. But a Sunday school teacher, a worker, somebody that has blessed you, somebody you see in the yoke, someone uh, maybe in your family. Uh, it doesn't matter. Invest good words. Use your mouth for positive speech. That's all the assignment is. Write down who you do that for. And second of all, I want you to go out and this week find somebody you show compassion on. Uh, homeless, needy, maybe a widow that you know in this church or in your family, your neighborhood. Uh, go and do something good. Or come out, uh, let's say, youth group. Find a kid that looks ragged and, and be radical. Buy him a pair of shoes or take him home and uh, buy him a hamburger. And as an adult man said, son, are your needs being met? Could I help you? Oh, that'd be radical. No, it'd be biblical. It'd be biblical. Uh, and so you do that. And what I would like for you to do is you can either contact Debbie or next week, in our little card in the pews here, I want you to write down the name of the person and what you did. And I'm going to advertise it. I'm going to tell who you are. But I'll say, uh, I, I uh, sent Jim an encouraging note, and I was able to feed a poor man that looked like he was homeless, and I bought him breakfast. I, I was sure he didn't spend it on wine and booze, but I bought him a meal and I said, I'm doing this in Jesus' name. Now, would you like to be happy? Now, what did James say? Wait, wait, listen, wait. If you do this, you'll be blessed. Anybody want a blessing? You're weak. Man, you're a weak crowd. Does anybody want a blessing? Thank you. You know you want a blessing. Do you want to obey? Wait, wait, the decimal went a little bit lower. Do you want to obey? Yes. You do what James said. Now, don't talk about information. You go out and say, boy, it wasn't very deep today. Well, we're fishing towards the surface. You deep folks are too far. My line doesn't even go that deep for you. Woo, you're down there. Man, you've got everything figured out in Revelation and Daniel. 
You just don't have anything figured out about your neighbor and about whether they're going to hell and whether you care or whether you do anything because your religion doesn't get that involved. He gave his Acts before he gave his Revelation. He gave his Matthew before he gave his Dan or after Daniel, but he said, go, disciple, baptize. Teach them to obey. Now notice what he said. Teach them to obey. What's missing in our Christianity today is obedience. And we got some people, I had Susie Fernandez tell me, she knew of a sister that attended four Bible studies a week in our church, plus she attended two at another church and does nothing in the church. All she does is spend her time in Bible studies. Waste of time. Many of our Bible studies are, it's information without transformation. Information without application Big heads, small hearts, unchanged lives. And we wonder what's wrong with the Bible. It's not the Bible, it's you, my friend. Until you do what God says, until you do what God says, you're not going to be blessed. I had a person yesterday tell me, he said, would you please pray I get this job and I'm praying to get this job? Well, you're living in an immoral life. Don't, don't think you're going to get God hear you when you won't obey him. Jesus said in John, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You don't love a God, you won't obey. This church needs revival. We need to believe we're in the last days that we ought to think the household's on fire and you're urgent about bringing people. Share. You don't have to bring them. You ought to share with them right where they are. Take them to Starbucks so you can tell them about Christ. And don't be telling me all about Jesus coming. I've been believing that 50-some-odd years. But I'm going to work until he comes, and like he may not come for 100 years. And you prophetic nuts ought to be sure you're prophetic obedient. What are you doing to make him known now before he comes, before the flood comes, before the rapture? Tell me who you're sharing the gospel with. Tell me how much you're praying every day. And don't quote me the date he's coming. You don't know. But I know he told me to make the word known that a kid is worth rescuing. A drunken man deserves a meal. And that God saves drunks. He rebuilds homes. My gospel can change a man's life. I wish we believed it.